to get into the year. We're excited. Before I start my message this morning, um, I've got a little video to play. So I've never overreacted like that in my life as a father. <laughs> Any dads in the room uh, or parents uh, relating to that? That's from the movie Inside Out, and uh, it's amazing how these kids' films sometimes capture some really deep things in quite a powerful way. And if you're familiar with the film, or even just seen that little clip, what it's capturing there is that we have feelings as human beings. Uh, I know some people like to deny that they have all these feelings, um, but we as human beings have feelings, and we are sometimes unaware how much our feelings uh, affect us and uh, direct our lives and these sort of things. And so we're going to do a series for the next six weeks where we're looking at emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, some of you guys might be familiar with Pete Scazzero, who is the author of uh, and creator of this course. And he is a, or well, he's, he's retired now, but he was a pastor in New York City uh, he planted this church, um, he learnt Spanish, and he was doing Spanish services, and, and it grew, and it was, it was going really well by all the usual world metrics, um, but he sort of had a wall, and it got so bad that his, his wife um, actually said to him, look, you know, I love you, but I'm not going to go to your ch the church anymore, I can't be under your leadership, and she said, I'm, I'm going to go to another church. I mean, like, let that sink in. Like, that's like Amy, like, after church today, like, Nick, yeah, I love you, but I'm, I'm going down the road, you know? Like, that is huge for this guy. And then he had one of his congregations, the Spanish one, had a big bust-up, and a whole group just left, and church split, and went off and created a new church. So he basically just hit the wall. And thankfully, he actually, him and his wife, they went on this journey where they just kind of went away and, and looked at, there must be a better way to do life. And when he went away, he actually found these tools and keys that, are, that, that have been or in the Bible, that are in our church tradition. There's actually ways to be with God and to let him work on our emotions that can bring us life and a slowed down spirituality, uh, not running at that psycho treadmill pace that our world operates on all the time, right? So, key thing for this course, we're, we're just, uh, I'm just using it as a bit of a framing up for the series, we're going to do six weeks, um, and it's sort of inspiring it, uh, but the kind of key kind of thing around this course is, is, I guess, this question of what is emotional health? One of the key images um, Pete uses um, throughout the course in the book is this image of an iceberg. Now... Typically, an iceberg, uh, only 10 or up to 20% of the iceberg is actually visible above the water. That's what you can actually see if you're just going along on your boat looking at it sort of thing. And the rest of the iceberg, the, the overwhelming majority, the 90% of the iceberg is actually underneath the water. And it's, this is so much like our lives, eh? Right? Like, we, we present ourselves at work and school and university, uh, with our families, at church, with our neighbours, clubs, whatever it is. And by and large, like, probably people see only about 10% of what's actually really going on in our lives, right? And there's this whole 90% of us that's all below the surface 
Those, I think I read somewhere like we have something ridiculous, on one, one estimation, I think we have like 60,000 thoughts a day. Like that's going through your brain throughout the time. Feelings going through you all the time. And that's just going all under the surface. And the world's just sort of seeing a, a version of you, a 10% version of you, but they're not seeing all that's going on underneath. And as Kiwis, uh, particularly males, I don't think we do feelings very well, right? I think about our general conversations. Like, I think about when I'm talking to someone and I've just seen them and I just say, how are you? What is the invariable reply I always get? Good. I'm good. Or not too bad. Like, it's bad, but it's not too bad. Like, we, we don't have this really good way of, of expressing what's really going on with us. And I, I kind of think when we're having those con conversations, we're really just ticking a box like, I've said hello, I've checked how you are, kind of, and you've just done it back to me, and now we can talk about the rugby or, or something really deep, you know? And, like, I really appreciate as, as I'm getting older... And, of course, people aren't going to do this just bumbling into someone on the street, but if you're in a relationship with them, I actually really appreciate when people actually say, you know what, to be honest, this has actually been a really hard week. I've had this go on in my life. I've, I'm feeling really flat. Like, when people are actually honest like that, it just warms my heart. And, uh, you know, even in myself, I, I, find, I find that tendency, that stoic kind of tendency just to say I'm okay or I'm good. Um, because I don't want people to think I'm that vulnerable or I'm that, like I'm falling apart or something. There's something that we pick up in our culture. I remember as a kid uh, with my grandfather, he lived on a farm, and, uh, you know, lovely man, uh, and we, I'd go there on these holidays and go out on a motorbike and do all sorts of farm jobs and all this sort of thing. It was great. And then I, I remember this moment when I was a teenager and we had gone to see my grandfather... And I, I just gave him a hug to say hello. And it was like hugging a cactus. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't have done this, I think. And I sort of just stepped back kind of thing, and it just felt awkward. And he sort of just put his hand out to me for the handshake. Because he was from an era where men didn't really hug. They, that, the, the acceptable form of, of emotion to show you that you cared to someone was a handshake. And I, I'd crossed some sort of cultural barrier there or line there, and I was experiencing that. And then I also experienced, like, I'm actually kind of a naturally kind of emotional person. Um, like, I, I find myself crying at stupid things in movies and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I picked up that cultural narrative that, for, particularly for a guy, that you're not meant to be... You shouldn't be crying, you should harden up. I even heard it the other day, a sports thing. I heard some older guy talking to some kids who were playing around, he was crying. I heard him say, harden up. And I thought, that is the absolute worst thing you can say to a little kid, eh? Like, a little boy. Like, harden yourself up and don't open yourself up. Don't do anything with that pain. Just put it in within you. And uh, I, I would find that, yeah, like at funerals or, or stuff, I'd, go to, I'd, be, I'd feel that pressure, that cultural pressure to, to, to be stoic and to sort of hold it together. And, I, and I, I suspect for many of us, we, we feel that as well. So why is this important? We are created in the image of a God who feels. In the Old Testament, we read about a God who feels anger, 
jealousy, sorrow, joy, compassion, and love. In the New Testament, we see Jesus, who was fully God and fully human, show emotions of joy, compassion for people, anger at injustice in the temple, sorrow. It says that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. In response to finding out his friend Lazarus had died, we get the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. You know, the Greek word which is used for salvation in the Bible is called sozo. Now, often we think about the word salvation, and this is part of it, is about that Jesus you know, forgives our sins, that he has um, paid you know, the price so that we can be in union with God and that we can have eternal life. All of those things, amen, like yes and amen to all those things. Um, but we also forget that the word sozo was used for every time Jesus healed someone or delivered someone. The word effectively means healing. So it's the healing of, of the soul. And we are integrated beings, right? Uh, many of you were aware of the Natapafa model that Sir Mason Drury um, put out many years ago, it, basically with a, a fuddy of a house and just showing that we are integrated beings. We've got emotions, we've got spirit, we've got physical, we've got all these sort of things, uh, mind, all these things are all part of who we are. And Jesus is really interested in not just forgiving our sins, not just giving us eternal life, amen, but he's actually about the healing of the soul, all of us. And that includes our emotions. It's a huge part of who we are because we're created in his image. He is a God who feels. To be human is to feel. The actual English word salvation actually has the word salve in it. It's an old word sometimes people talk about, like you get ointment and you salve a wound. You put that in that wound and you heal it. I think it's a, it's a beautiful way to think about salvation. And I think that for many of us as Christians, we can have a wonderful experience of encountering God, especially at the start, and especially if you haven't been raised in church, when you have that moment of encountering Jesus, isn't it amazing? Like, you're like, wow. I love seeing new Christians, because they've got that, that, that honeymoon joy of being a Christian, and I think it's a wonderful stage, should be celebrated and enjoyed. Um, and people in that stage, you know what they're like? They, they come to church. Every sermon is just like, oh, this is like direct revelation from heaven. And they, every time they open up their Bible, it's like God's just speaking to me just straight away. Like every verse, every verse. And the worship, that worship song, they've got it playing through their heads. But invariably, I find that that seems to wear off that season. And we find that we still seem to struggle with the same things sometimes that we were struggle before we got saved and we and then invariably what happens is we get stuck and we can do two things with that being stuck we can we can sort of become cynical and harden our hearts go through the motions just turning up to church or trying to do our devotional times out of a sense of duty um, or worse people just drift away maybe even give up on their faith instead of I think there's an there's a invitation. John Wesley talked about salvation in, in the way of like a house. So he said that, you know, the first step to salvation is that, 
that God in his grace, you know, calls us onto, onto the porch and, 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 and we take that little step up into the, the doorway into the house. Just think about your house at home as you're going through that doorway. And that doorway, you're in the house, you're justified, you've got eternal life, you're safe, wonderful, awesome things. But he said the sad fact is that most Christians don't take a step into the house and explore all the rooms. And when you go into all the rooms, that's, that's where all the extra, this is the healing of our soul. This is the, the good stuff that God wants to do, not in eternity, but right now for us. That's where life is. It's a, there's an old-fashioned word, um, theological word, that, that what this process is called. It's called sanctification. It just means becoming more like Jesus. That is the invitation. And we can choose to stand in the doorway or walk away from the house, or we can go in. So I think that's the invitation as we go on this course, is just open your heart. What has God got for you as you go on this journey? And I think a verse that really speaks to me as I I think about this is John 10.10. Jesus makes this audacious promise. I have come that they may have life and life in abundance. Now, we all kind of know that, right? We probably know that verse. And theologically, we're just like, yeah, yeah, that's right. I get life, and Jesus wants me to have an abundant life. But there's this disconnect between our understanding of that, of that verse and what it, that promise and actually the reality in our lives. And I want to suggest this morning is, is because we haven't made that connection between the two in a sense of allowing Jesus to work on our soul, allowing Jesus to work on our pain and our suffering and the things that we go through and helping us to become more like him, helping us to mature as Christians. Um, Otherwise, we're just looking at that promise there, but we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to make it a reality in our life. And that is the invitation, guys, this morning. Because Jesus is the great doctor of our souls. Um, The early Christians um, loved the image of Jesus as the great physician, that, that what, what he is doing, he's healing us, and he knows what's going on in the 90%, right? Like it says in Psalms that he knows the very thoughts in our, in our mind. Like he's, he knows those experiences that we have gone through as children and adults and stuff. He knows all those things, and he's not, a fr- he's not like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. He's not indifferent to that. He's like, I want to come and I want to work on those things. In Revelation, it says that, um, behold, I knock at the door. You know, I used to be like scared of that verse when I was younger. Like, oh, he's come to tell me off. It's not that. He's come to come do healing. He's the great physician. He's your friendly GP, just knocking on the door. Like, can I, can I come and have an assessment with you? I just want to help you. I want to sit with you. I want to do life with you. I want to get to all the core of who you are. Will you, will you open up your heart? Will you open up your life to me? That is the invitation. Because if you don't let Jesus into your, into your past, into your pain, your anger, your frustration, your wounds, you won't grow. 
Some people can have all the Bible knowledge in the world, but can also be some of the most bitter people. In the book, Pete shares that a person said to him this, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I know I've, I've been guilty of that in my, my, a lot of my walk with the Lord, getting stuck and not growing. And man, I, I want to grow. I want God to, to have all of my life, all of my heart. I want to become that person that he's got in mind. You know, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he, he meets us where we're at. Like the train stops at every station. No matter what stage you're at life, we can encounter his grace and his love. But he doesn't want you to stay where you're at. Like Jesus doesn't want you to be stuck at that wall, stuck in that pain, stuck in that problem. He wants to help you get through that and grow you into a person of, of great love for others. And it has effects not just on us, but it has effects on others. Richard Raw says, what pain that is not transformed is transferred. What pain that is not transformed is transferred. And we see this in families, right? Generations after generations, people struggling with unforgiveness or alcoholism or anger. Like there's stuff that just gets passed on generationally because someone hasn't done the work of allowing the spirit to change them. And so they just pass it on to another generation, right? And the pattern just repeats itself. It doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't want that for us and for our kids and our future generations. He wants to bring us life and life in abundance. So for the rest of my, my message, I'm just going to unpack um, the top 10 symptoms from Pete Scazzero of un, unhealthy emotional health. And I'm just aware um, this is a little bit of a heavy topic. That's why <laughs> I started with uh, the video from, um, what's it called? Yeah, Inside Out. Um, so I just, I'm just aware that we've all got different life experiences. Um, we've all got stuff from our, our childhoods, family of origin, um, stuff from disappointments with work, relationships, um, whatever it is. I'm, just, I'm acute, maybe you even got church hurts um, where you felt let down or hurt or burnt in church. Um, it could be a whole range of things. I'm just aware of that. And so um, before I go through this, I, I just thought I'd just invite the Holy Spirit um, just to come. The Holy Spirit, um, we just want to open up our lives to you. And we, we don't want to hide anything from you. I mean, we can't hide anything from you. You know everything. You graciously want to come and give us life. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that you would break off any sense of condemnation that might have come upon anyone this morning as we've started looking at this topic and through this series. And, Lord, I pray you would bring your grace and your love and your mercy we just stand on that verse, Lord, which says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we just pray that. And Lord, we just, I just want to um, just stand against the lies of the devil that would come to discourage us, would, would come to um, call us to you know, withdraw or to hold back from life. 
Um, Lord, we just come against those things in your precious name. And we just pray that you would do uh, an amazing, deep work in us as a church as we continue to go on this journey of becoming more like you. So, top ten. First one. Using God to run from God. So this is applying scripture selectively to suit my own purposes, uh, not me doing God's will. So sometimes we can create like a, almost like a, a construct of God that kind of suits us and we pick and choose what kind of scriptures we want to read to fit in within that kind of construct. And so we, we kind of set up sort of religious structures in our lives that form that kind of thing. And that's, you know, really unhealthy. And, and that's kind of part of the, the false self that Jesus is coming to, wants to work on us to become, so that we can be the true self, be who we're meant to be in him, and allow him to work on our hearts. Ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. Not being honest with myself and others about feelings, hurts, and pains beneath the surface of my life. Um, yeah, this is huge. How many of us are carrying anger and sadness, fear, anxiety, stuff that, that we haven't shared with others or asked for support or prayer or counselling or whatever it is to help us work through those things? Um, so we just continue to carry them in our bodies and it has an effect on us and our physical well-being, our mental well-being and our spiritual well-being and you know, I think we often, uh, in our culture, we often sweep things under the carpet or we just put things to the side. We minimise um, things. Um, I'll share about this more in depth uh, next week, but uh, my brother Greg, he's autistic, and I, when people used to say to me, oh, that must be really hard, having an autistic brother, because he, he lives in a home, like he's, he's completely, it's like a two-year-old in a 40-year-old's body. And I used to always just do that thing like, oh, no, no, it's all right. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's a bit of a challenge, but it's fine kind of thing. Um, it was only until I was in my 20s sitting in a, with a counsellor where a counsellor actually said to me, you know, Nick, that was, that was really hard what you went through as a child. And I was just like, it's like something like that. I was, oh, right. I just aware that I actually had all this anger, frustration, and I felt guilty that I had anger about my brother because I love my brother. And I felt anger towards God as well. Like, why would a good and perfect God allow my brother to go through that or our family to go through that? So there's something about just allowing us to, to bring those things before God and before others that gives us life and, and life in abundance. Um, next one, dying to the wrong things. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Vinci Code, and there's a there's a character in there. He's this like monk character, and he's he's wearing these hair shirts, and he's whipping himself and stuff. Like this is this is like doing a whole lot of stuff um, that God never called us to do, that God doesn't want us. And it's actually having this kind of negative view of of the world and life, um, and it sort of it, it doesn't allow for what the the good things that actually are in the world. Yes, the we live in a creation that is affected by sin and death and destruction, but there's also 
so many beautiful things that God has, God created this earth. There's so many beautiful, wonderful things that we have, you know, enjoying a nice meal or having a great craft beer or sort of like beautiful thing and you're just like, wow, that's amazing. Oh, look at this beautiful sunset or when you're at a beach and you're like, oh, this is gorgeous. And you're like, thank you, God, for this creation. And you're just like, Lord, you're so good. Um, that, that is, there's something that goes with that which is called like a sacramental worldview. It's well that, that, that you know, God's, God's in everything. And, and he's got these beautiful things for us to enjoy. Denying the past impact on the present. This is considering how your family of origin or significant people or events from your past has shaped your present. And I think this is probably one of the ones that many of us probably struggle with in a sense of, you know, we read in the New Testament, we understand this concept of being born again. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. That is totally correct. Like, we are those things. Um, but there is a reality to our life that we still feel, feel the effects of sin, death, and destruction in our world. And so we have to allow the Spirit to come and work on us. Uh, Pete Scazzaro has this saying about, like, you've you got Jesus in your heart, but you've got granddad in your bones. And I think if anyone's aware of their family of origin, they know especially as you come into a marriage or, and things like that, and you've got two different families and stuff, you, you're seeing stuff that's in your family lines, generational, good stuff and bad stuff. Like You're seeing stuff that's there that you're, you're carrying on as well, and you're like, oh, well, I'm doing that thing like my dad, or, you know, like, how did that happen? It's, 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 it's in us, and we have to bring um, all of our life before God and just let him work on those things, because Jesus wants to go back to the, your past, and this is not about dishonouring our parents or our families. I'm all about honouring our families, even if they've been very broken and dysfunctional. It's just actually about being real about life, that these things affect us. And I'm all for, uh, I totally believe that God can heal stuff in an instant as well. But it's been my experience that with emotional pain, it seems to be a process. That's the way God seems to work through these things. Um, and so I, it's so good to just go and look at that stuff and see how it affects us so that we can not pass on those things to another generation. Next one. Dividing life into secular or sacred compartments. Um, that's basically this thing how we come to church on Sunday, we're doing our Christian thing, and then the rest of the week we're just doing our thing. You know, I'm doing the Nick thing, and then I'm at church, I'm churchy Nick, and I'm doing that thing. And then I'm out in the world, and I'm Nick Nick, you know, sort of thing, whatever. Um, and so this is probably where a lot of people kind of find, you know, Christians hypocritical, because they're like, oh, well, this person looks really devout and really into their prayer and worship at church. And then they're that, that person pulling the fingers at me and cutting in front of me in the, in, in the, you know, out in the road or something. Like, it's just kind of like, whoa, these two things don't line up. And it's because it's we sometimes put these boxes in our head of church life, world life. Church life, world life. Or even like your devotional life. I'm, I'm in my devotional time here with God, and then I'm at work, and it's got nothing to do with God or something. And so we forget about God during the day. Rather than having a, a, a view of the world that, that everything is God's. 
The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Uh, there is no secular or sacred divides of God. It's all his will, and everything we're doing within it is part of that. There's a guy, Abraham Cooper, said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry. It's all of God. Next one. Doing for God instead of being with God. Evaluating my spirituality based on how much I'm doing for God. And I think for me this really sums up the Mary and Martha story we read in the Gospels. Martha was so busy getting stuff prepared, doing good things. Hospitality is important. She was fulfilling a cultural um, responsibility in that moment and, and, you know, amen to food, yes. Um, They needed food after Jesus had spoken with them. Um, But she'd forgotten the most important thing, which was to sit at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says to her, you know, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is important or essential. We we need to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus, that that our life comes from being and not doing. And I I tell you for myself, this has revolutionized my prayer life, especially as a pastor, because I'm a effectively a professional Christian. I get paid to be a Christian. <laughs> uh, so I can fall into this trap that I'm doing all these things for God, you know, and I can even get in my prayer life that it's this weird blurry thing between I'm praying for the church, I'm praying for myself, like what is it? And I forget this really important thing, even for me as a pastor, is to s- stop and be with Jesus first. Not because I'm trying to get anything out of it other than his love and his grace and his mercy and then I will go do these things. It's, it's getting the cart behind the horse, or whatever the saying is. <laughs> not the cart in front of the horse. It's getting it right that we start from being. We're human beings, not human doings. Spiritualize, uh, spiritualizing, which is probably not a word, away conflict. Uh, missing out on true peace by smoothing over disagreements, burying tensions and avoiding conflict, rather than disrupting the false peace like Jesus. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And this is a huge one, I think, for us, say, as, 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 as Christians, and particularly as, as Kiwis, as, as New Zealanders. Like, we have a very strong, passive-aggressive thing in our culture where we don't tend to go directly at a problem like some cultures do, and that's quite frightening sometimes when you see it, but uh, it's, uh, we tend to talk around things, don't we? Um, little snide comments or, or backhanded compliments or, or, or just little things or, or you pick up a vibe and you're like, what's going on here with this person and what have you? And, and we, we really struggle with that, just going and having a really good conversation with someone and checking in with them. We often do a, a th- like mind reading thing where we think, we know what that person's thinking and doing without actually having evidence of actually what they are thinking and doing. So we make up all these assumptions about what they're thinking and doing about us rather than just going and having a chat and clarifying. Um, often, so often, we have misunderstandings in our jobs, in the church, in our lives that are usually over trivial things, but offence gets in. And often we can just sort of uh, spiritualize it away and not deal with it. But, you know, Jesus was someone who disrupted false peace. 
He, he, he wouldn't allow the Pharisees to, to put him into their constructs. He was really, I, I felt like he, you know, he did it with compassion and kindness and sincerity, but he was very clear about his message and about the kingdom and what he was doing. Number eight, almost there, covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Not speaking freely about um, our weaknesses, failures, and mistakes. Um, you, know, you know what? That really awesome um, person you're listening to on the podcast, that pastor who runs that massive church or whatever, he's a flawed person, or she. Um, we are all flawed people. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Kurimako, I am a flawed, deeply flawed person. I know, I know. <laughs> it will come as a shock to all of you. Uh, yeah, I've got sin and brokenness and all these things in my life. I hope that, that, that you know, I've gone on a journey and that I'm more aware of it and, and I've been able to allow others to speak into my life and pray for me and care for me and stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm flawed and broken, just like we all are. And uh, it gives me great um, encouragement that the Bible we read is not full of people who are, have perfect lives. Uh, Pete Cazero says this, Moses was a murderer, Hosea's wife was a prostitute, Peter rebuked God, Noah got drunk, Jonah was a racist, Jacob was a liar, John Mark deserted Paul, Elijah burned out, Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal, and Thomas doubted. So if these guys, <laughs> who are significant characters in, in this beautiful story that we, we hold to, if they could you know, have a significant impact on, on, on life and we read about them, get encouragement from them, we, can, we too can. You know? this, is, this is part of us and, and the best thing to do is bring our weaknesses and our brokenness and failure before God and before others. Living without limits, number nine. Trying to do it all or biting off more than we can chew. I think this is, again, another massive cultural thing. Uh, we get a lot of our value out of our productivity. Uh, we often ask people, when you're having a conversation, you don't ask them so much, unless you're maybe from multicultural or another culture, where you're from or where's your family and stuff. One of our first questions is normally, what do you do? Because we put value in what you do. And so we say, oh, I do this job or I'm doing this. And our, invariably, the other thing we always say is, I'm busy, you know. Oh, I'm busy too. Oh, I'm flat out as well. Like this is, it's almost like a cultural pride badge that we carry around with us. Like, oh, who's the busiest? Oh, I'm the busiest, you know, like kind of sort of thing. And it's like, this actually really unhealthy. Yes, it's good to work hard and it's good to, um, you know, be productive and all these sort of things. But when it's like a, gets to the stage of, of, of chronic fatigue and, and people are burning out, that's not healthy. Um, I often think if we're not willing to, um, build rest into our life, um, our bodies will, will create rest for us because they're kind of, I think what a burnout is, and I'll, this is just a layman here, but I think it's kind of effectively your body saying, like, ah, I've had enough, I'm going to take some time out. <laughs> and it, it'll shut you down kind of thing, basically. And so unless we put rest into our life, unless we allow God to, to slow down to be with Jesus, we, we're going to hit those walls, we're going to feel that stress and we're going to realise that we, we actually aren't limitless. Um, I know that was a cool movie, Limitless, and I was trying to find that pill, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a movie, and it, in the movie it doesn't even turn out well for the guy who's limitless. Like, we all have limits. 
And as you get older in life, you start to realise how much you have limits. I said to Amy the other day, I said, when I was in my 20s, I just felt like limitless. Like there was all these options and things I could do and I had all this energy. And as I'm getting older, I just realise how much limits I have. But it's actually a gift. It's an absolute gift to realise your limits and to live within them. They're good boundaries for it that God has put in our life. And Jesus modelled this for us as a human being, fully God yet fully human. He did not heal every sick person. He did not raise every dead person. He did not feed all the hungry beggars or set up a job development centres for the poor of Jerusalem. Last one. Judging the spiritual journeys of others. Uh, Finding myself occupied and bothered by the faults of others. Um... This is when we look at other Christians, even other Christians from other sort of denominations or streams and things like that, and we, we judge them. I think we, we just I think that's why Jesus said, you know, judge, do not judge this, you'll be judged. I think judge not. Because like we just naturally find ourselves being judgmental. I I'm I'm guilty of this as well. Like just seeing other churches and other styles and how people do stuff. And you just I just find like I have to check my heart all the time and just go, No, that's another beautiful expression of the kingdom. It's not the, that's not the style I'm into, but that's a beautiful expression of the kingdom, and people are meeting Jesus through that. Um, Pete Scazzaro says, we judge the Presbyterians for being too structured, we judge the Pentecostals for lacking structure, we judge the Episcopalians, uh, American word for Anglicans, for their candles and their written prayers, we judge Roman Catholics for their view of the Lord's Supper, and Orthodox Christians from the eastern part of the world for their strange culture and love for icons. By failing to let others be themselves before God and move at their own pace, we inevitably project onto them our own discomfort with their choice to live life differently than we do. So they're the top ten. I hope everyone's feeling great. Yeah? (laughs) Where to from here? (laughs) Over the next five weeks, we're going to dive into this in our messages, encourage you to listen along to the podcast if you're um, away, um, just keep up with it. Um, these are some of the ways you could engage. Ideally, it's, um, ideally, at some stage, I'd really encourage you, maybe in your groups, to, to look at the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. It's an eight-week course, um, and if any of the home groups and people are keen for that, um, love to help you uh, with any resource along those lines so you can dive into it. You could buy a book, um, it's there, um, you can find it on Amazon and other places or down at Mana um, Bookstore, um, it's a really easy to read book, um, very helpful. Um, you could buy the daily devotional that comes with it as well, um, it's actually not that big, it's sort of quite a small book. Um, hands down, this is the best little devotionals I've ever found to help people just start being with Jesus and if you're stuck in your devotional life, you, you find prayer and all that, like, how do you do this? It's so good. Like, it's just these little, you do two minutes of silence, you read a little scripture, there's a little reflection, another two minutes of silence, and you, and you, you can do that once or twice or three times a day kind of thing. It's, it's such a good thing just to kickstart your, your prayer life, devotional life, just sitting, being with Jesus. Um, I would encourage you to get there, and it, it doesn't cost much, that little book. Another real practical thing is, is, is to write out what you're thinking and feeling. 
Uh, Pete Scazzaro talked in the book that as he was getting in touch with his feelings because he wasn't very good at discerning them, he said he would just and out everything that he was feeling and thinking before he sat in silence before Jesus. And I think that's a really helpful thing. If you're, I'm a, I'm a bit wired like that. I have like a lot of stuff going through my head and I'm quite you know, sort of emotional and I just need to just write some things down sometimes before I start my prayer time and then just let it, like an offering, just give it up to God. So I just encourage you, if you do that, maybe verbally, I don't know, screaming and shouting down at the park, or, <laughs> or sitting quietly in your room, or just writing it out in the journal, or something like just write out those thoughts and feelings, and then just give them to Jesus. Um, also encourage you, a, a great way that we can grow in emotional health is, is by being in relationship. And so if you're not in a home, I encourage you to join in with one. We've got some home groups that are starting up. They're looking at lots of devotional and discipleship material. Um, it's a great space. Um, often we don't want to be super vulnerable in a, in a big space, and I get that. Um, but sometimes with a few people, it just gives us time to open up and go beyond those surface-level conversations to actually be like, how's it going with your soul? How are you really doing? And we can open up, we can pray for each other, uh, I thought it was very interesting, in First John it says that if we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us, which is awesome. But it says in James, it says if we confess our sins to one another, we will find healing. There's something about how God works through community and church and through others, is that we get to be these channels of grace to one another to provide this healing. I think that's a beautiful way the body can work together. So encouraging that. Um, also encourage you into just friendship and relationships in general. You know, be intentional to catch up with people, have coffee, lunch, give them a call, a text, see how people are doing. Um, we so, get so caught up in this individualistic life that we just don't know what's going on with people because we're often not in relationship and checking in with them. So encourage that as well. As I finish, I just want to encourage you um, today and in this series to just open up your heart to Jesus. Let him do that healing work in your life so that you can experience more and more of that abundant life.